K-A-L-W. When we are talking about slavery and about enslaved people, we really need to think about all of the different ways to survive. For centuries, Black people have looked to humor and satire, not just for laughs, but for survival. And I think that that's critical for us thinking about what 21st century satirists are doing as well. Today, how satire has played a crucial role in the lives of generations of African Americans. We'll hear about the past, present, and future of the genre. White people still, I don't know, like y'all preparing for some y'all won't tell us what it is. And we'll hear from some local comedians. They saw the hair change happen and you know the whole thing and they were like, oh, she's black, black. Black comedy from around the Bay. I'm Hanat Baba and this is Cross Currents. It's the first day of Black History Month, so we're bringing you a show that's dedicated to Black satire, the genre of African-American satire. We'll be featuring some local comedians on the show and exploring the power of laughter and humor. In this episode that first aired in December 2020, first, we'll meet Danielle Fuentes Morgan. She teaches English at Santa Clara University and is author of the book, Laughing to Keep from Dying, African-American Satire in the 21st Century. Danielle's book explores Black satire, its evolution, and its legends. She says satire was used for social commentary, but also as a revolutionary action to affect change and as a survival mechanism to cope with centuries of discrimination, inequity, and racism. And that goes back to the days of slavery. To begin our conversation, Danielle goes back in history to tell me the story of possibly one of the first Black satirists, Jordan Anderson, a man who was formerly enslaved. Here's Danielle. His former master asks him to come back to the plantation after emancipation and says, look, I'll pay you. I just need help on the plantation. And he writes this really scathing rebuttal that gets published in a newspaper saying, you know, yeah, I'll come back if you promise to pay me all my back wages and pay my wife back wages. And oh, by the way, they call her miss up here now. And, you know, kind of like just ragging on him in this really, really brilliant way. And it reminded me that when we are talking about slavery and about enslaved people, that we really need to think about all of the different ways to survive. There are so many different ways to die. You know, you can have these, you know, physical deaths, sort of a mental death, a psychic death. And the enslaved were smart enough and resilient enough to come up with methods to survive that. And I think that that's critical for us thinking about what 21st century satirists are doing as well. You also talk about the idea of valuing Blackness, right? That modern satirists, that they must speak from a place that kind of pushes deeper, you know, and provides more critical understanding of race and racial relations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I think that Black people 
as um, communities, I think, have always known, you know, there's lots of different ways to be black. Uh, but in the mainstream, we often see that kind of performed as one thing, like you're supposed to look this way, you're supposed to act this way, you're supposed to like these certain things. These satirists are saying, no, I'm black. And because I'm black, the thing I'm doing is black as well. That's authenticity. And I think that's a really, really nuanced kind of move that allows so many of us uh, different ways to identify and to identify ourselves as black people. You just remind me of an interview I did with comedian W. Kamau Bell, who was talking about... You know, he grew up in white spaces. He's a self-described, like, blurred, black nerd. And, you know, he didn't speak the way black people wanted him to speak. And, and like, in the comedy circuit, you know, he would be expected to talk a certain way and to talk about certain things that just were not his experience. And that got me thinking about audience. Can I be authentic to myself versus are these people going to get it or not? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think that is so critical um, right now because part of what satire, satire needs um, intention and impact. Um, intention outweighs impact to my mind. So the, the, um, the satirist has to intend to create a satire. You can't sort of make a joke and then later on go back and say, oh no, it was just satire because it didn't go over well. Um, you're supposed to actually intend for it to be received as satire. But the trick then is that the audience has to understand it, has to have that impact as a satire. You want people to feel uncomfortable, but in that productive way so that, you know, I, I always tell my students that our discomfort is a space for production, that it can be a really productive space, that we want to feel uncomfortable, but not unsafe. Mm. So I guess my next question is, who do you think, you know, manages to pull that off? Um, so what I'm really interested right now in is these satirists who have made moves very specifically to talk about this kind of contemporary moment. I have to say Jordan Peele is doing just incredible work, just mind blowing. Like I feel fortunate, honestly, that I am working in the realm of satire at the same time uh, that Jordan Peele is creating satire because what he's doing in the realms of comedy, in the realms of horror is just so brilliant. I think um, the movie Get Out, of course, to my mind, Get Out is the film of the Trump era. It came out right around the inauguration uh, and it was talking, you know, it's really like our first glance at what Trump's America was, you know, what it might look like. And, and this kind of um, idea of, hey, we're going to talk about racism, but not in the ways you think about it. You know, these racists aren't, you know, I say this as somebody from Durham, North Carolina, these racists aren't Southern, you know, they don't have these accents, they're very well educated, they're attractive, all of these things that usually in pop culture, we see racists as being, you know, sort of like these caricatures. He didn't do any of that. So it became this really interesting way to say, but what about all of the racism that happens everywhere? Let's not just locate it in the South. I know what you're thinking. What? Come on, I get it. White family, black servants. It's a total cliche. I wasn't going to take you there. Well, you didn't have to, believe me. Boy, I hate the way it looks. Yeah, I know what you mean. 
By the way, I, I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could. Best president in my lifetime, hands down. Uh, meaning what I describe as revolutionary laughter, which is this kind of laughter that, you know, may, it, it's funny, so you're laughing, but you're also thinking about how it challenges the status quo, that your laughter means that you recognize that the status quo is a problem. This is Cross Currents. I'm Hannah Baba. We'll get back to my conversation with Danielle Fuentes Morgan, author of the book Laughing to Keep from Dying, African-American Satire in the 21st Century. But first, you know we had to bring in some comedians to a show about Black comedy and satire, and where best to look but right in our backyard. The Bay Area is rich with comedy and has no shortage of talent. Here's comedian Dara M. Wilson performing in a comedy show on Zoom. I work in tech, so I work with a lot of guys with uh, tall white man confidence, you know? (laughs) It's truly an epidemic that we're not talking about, even the short ones, just oozing (laughs) confidence that is uh, unfounded but pervasive. And not me, I'm not, I've never been like that. I, I have had some success in my life, but I still, you know, feel like an imposter. So I am trying something different. I'm thinking of myself as a scammer. <laughs> yeah, it's very empowering. Like when I interviewed, I wore my hair in a little natural poof of hair, like a little, like I'm one of the good ones, poof, you know. And I waited a few weeks um, to show up with my 24-inch purple Havana twist, you know, like down here. And um, I had the hair and the big earrings, and I wear a lot of very loud clothes. And sometimes I even look in the mirror, and I'm like, wow, she's ethnic. So I know (laughs) (laughs) you were... They were struggling. I know when they hired me, they were like, oh, we caught one, a black. Uh, And I know that because I am the black and uh, the rarest Pokemon of them all. And then I saw, they saw the hair change happen and, you know, the whole thing. And they were like, oh, she's black, black. Yes, that's right, Jebecca. You have been scammed. That's it for me. Please go out and scam some white people. Thank you for coming to the show. Lots of folks think comedians are sad, or particularly sad. But I don't do comedy because I'm sad. I do comedy because I'm furious. My sadness is incidental to the whole affair. The James Baldwin quote, To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. Rings in my ears on a loop. I'm brimming with anger at the injustices that so frequently color the black experience. And without an outlet, that rage would feel impotent. I've tried to combat that impotence with the agency that comes from community building, but I needed something more than righteous commiseration with my brothers, sisters, and kinfolk. 
I also needed the stage and the mic to speak truth to power, to let black people know I feel you, and to let white people know I see you and you ain't slick. If I didn't have my platform and the sugary tonic of humor to help the medicine of the message go down, my fury would dry me to a husk and then swallow me whole. A life consumed with only anger, even righteous anger, is no life at all. That's why I think humor is so endemic to the Black community. We've had lots of famine and not enough feast. But we've made lives worth living through humor. Humor as a tool for survival is passed from generation to generation, almost ritualistically, a childhood peppered with the ecstatic joy of listening to elders pop off jokes at each other at a barbecue that's lasted well into the night. Adulthood marked by the elation felt when you've finally grown old enough to participate. It's in our bones and our blood and our sweat and our tears. It's why we're still here. That was Bay Area comedian Dara M. Wilson. Now let's go back to my conversation with Danielle Morgan, author of Laughing to Keep from Dying. In looking at the future of Black satire, what what do you see happening? Uh, I think right now satirists are really moving away from the funny to um, the the serious and whether that serious takes on the forms of sort of straight dramas or horrors or something else. I think right now, and I think this is in part in response to the sort of traumas of the Trump era, Mm. that satirists are saying, okay, what I need to make sure that my meaning is not misunderstood. And sometimes that takes the form of I need to not make a joke and hope that you can tease through the laughing to understand that meaning, that it's become much more of the sort of let me shock you into understanding this. Let me unsettle you um, because I'm feeling unsettled because I feel um, uncomfortable in this kind of situation. I want you to understand that feeling as well. Um, and so that's where I think satire, that's where it seems satire is heading, sort of the shift away from comedy into the sort of overtly funny. We see this with Jordan Peele. We see this with Chris Rock, who is often now asked to sort of just speak on behalf of the black community, sort of writ large. We see it um, you know, with the, the sort of public responses of uh, Leslie Jones or Maya Rudolph or any of the, you know, very few black women who have been on Saturday Night Live as they're kind of moving away from um, sort of traditional comedy and leaning in more to a sort of political sphere, that people are recognizing that there's a spotlight on satirists and that they want to make sure that meaning is is as clear as possible. Okay, who's doing it right right now and who are you excited about? I am really, really excited about Issa Rae. I think Insecure, while not a traditional kind of satire, has these satiric moments Mm -hmm. where she's being really, really thoughtful about the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, class, all of these kinds of things, um, and being really respectful, but also pushing the boundaries of all of these kinds of identities as well. We service black and brown kids, but our office doesn't look like that. And I really think we need to hire some employees of color 
Well, what about Sarah? She's, um... Yeah. So she's somebody I'm really um, excited about right now. There is a, a stand-up comedian named Sam Jay who I think is just um, hilarious and, and thoughtful and boundary pushing that I think is going to really make um, huge waves. They have a uh, Netflix special. Elon must be going to space by himself. What the f is that white man doing in space alone? <laughs> That's not suspicious to anybody but me. That goes to space without the government, without NASA, which I didn't even know you could f do. As far as I knew, they run space. You want to f with space, you got to f with them. This f built a spaceship like it's a go-kart goes on Tuesdays. This space day is Saturday! I also think because we are all homebound right now because of the pandemic, that a lot of these comedians who are on um, TikTok and um, who are making these web series and who are making little videos that they post to Twitter and Instagram, that some of these people who are making these kinds of jokes uh, that are sort of self-made and grassroots are also going to be uh, huge change makers in the realm of satire mm. in the next couple of years. And I'm really excited about that. That's Danielle Fuentes Morgan, author of the book Laughing to Keep from Dying, African-American Satire in the 21st Century. We spoke in 2020. We've got a link to Danielle's work at klw.org slash crosscurrents. This is Cross Currents. I'm Hannah Baba. To close today's show, we're going to continue the conversation about the present and future of Black satire. Here's Oakland-born comedian Alexandria Love. Comedy is for the people. If a comic tells a joke in the middle of a forest with nobody else around to laugh, is it still a joke? Maybe, but not a very good one. By definition, comedy exists as a form of two-way communication. I, the comedian, extend my opinions to you in the form of a punchline, and hopefully you respond with laughter, showing me that the transmission was successful. Because of this, comedy has been used as a tool to transmit all sorts of important information. Black comics, especially, have always been extremely skilled in communicating their thoughts about white supremacy in well-formulated jokes. So well formulated that sometimes white audience members ignored the commentary and just laughed at the jokes. Black comedy served the purpose of bashing white supremacy since the days of our enslavement. Only now, the tide has turned. White audiences are no longer the default. We don't write jokes for you anymore. Now, we're writing jokes for us. And they're great. Have you been on TikTok recently? There's some good stuff if you can get past the videos of extremely wealthy high schoolers doing the world's laziest dance moves. For example, there's this guy, at Kinesis100k. How y'all doing? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. He's the guy that always has the freshest do-rags and asks the viewer questions about the Black experience. Like, how long does it take for your mom to say goodbye when she's leaving the cookout? Or, you ask your dad if you can have McDonald's. What does he say? Or, you just got invited to an event. What's the first question you ask? 
For those of you not in the know, the answers are too long, we got McDonald's at home, and who all gonna be there? Are you black? Are you sure? Now I know that TikTok has my algorithm down to a science. All they have to do is send me videos of black comedians, baby elephants, and bearded men making pasta, and I'll be a happy camper. But I know that I'm not the only person seeing this hilarious dude. He's got almost 170,000 followers. Some of those people have got to be white, so that means that even when the content isn't for them, white people can learn about the black experience and hopefully use that knowledge to empathize with us. The brilliance of it is, even if they don't, who cares? Black comedy isn't just about subverting racism or raising awareness about white supremacy anymore. Now it's just about us, our culture, our people, and what's funny to us. The message in our comedy isn't just, hey, white people, do better. Even though, you know, please do. In the antebellum period, when Black Americans were enslaved, we used music to hide our true intentions of escaping to freedom. We would wade in the water, follow the drinking gourd, and do whatever the spirituals passed on from our peers told us to do in order to achieve our collective dream of peace. We had our true dreams of freedom in our jokes, too, so that we can say them around white people without them knowing that we're rebelling. Now... We don't have to hide. We can be free to make ourselves laugh. That's comedian Alexandria Love. Since she recorded that for us in 2020, she's moved to New York to be a staff writer for The Tonight Show. You can follow her on Twitter at Alex from Oakland and find more links to her work at KLW.org slash crosscurrents. Tune in Monday morning at 11. We'll explore what it means to imagine the ocean when you're barred from seeing it or feeling it. Incarcerated people have as many reasons to care about the environment as anybody on the streets. Environmental crises don't impact us less in here just because there's walls around us. The walls don't prevent the heat from coming in and giving us heat stroke like anybody else. It doesn't change anything. An environmentalist's fight for the planet from inside prison walls. There's been moments where I question what I can do from in here as a prisoner. What I've found is that I can do a lot from in here. I have repeatedly been surprised and encouraged by how positively incarcerated people have responded to this discussion and my message. A brand new story from the team at Uncuffed, Monday morning at 11. And here's some local music before we go.
This is Oakland's Terrence Brewer. He'll be playing in his city at the Sound Room tomorrow night. Today's Cross Currents team includes Steffi Puerto, Cheryl Kaskowitz, James Rollins, Ganadi Joe Johnson, Victor Tense, Shirin Adil, Maurice Ortega Welch, Angela Johnston, Lisa Morehouse, Sunni Khalid, and Ben Trefney. Our opening theme music is by the John Santos Quintet, as interpreted by Daoud Anthony. For Cross Currents, I'm Hanat Baba.